0: Acts chapter 12, let's begin at verse 1, shall we? Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people So Peter was kept in the prison But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, Lord, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for the encouragement of your Spirit as we've worshipped you. And I just ask now that you will open our hearts, that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones, not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you will draw them to a place of repentance. I I especially pray for sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith. And I pray, O Lord, that you will... You will touch them, you will draw them, you'll convict them, you'll help them to recognize their need for you, so that not one of them will be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus, Amen. amen. You may be seated. I heard the story about a pastor who had a pet parrot, but all the parrot would say was, let's pray, let's pray. He tried to teach him to say other things, but it didn't matter how much the parrot or how much the pastor worked with him. The only thing he could get the parrot to say was, let's pray, let's pray. One day, the pastor learned that one of his deacons also had a parrot. The deacon was bemoaning the fact that the only thing his parrot would say was, let's kiss, let's kiss. So just to compare notes and try to see if they could get anything different out of those birds, the pastor invited the deacon to bring his parrot over to his house. When the deacon arrived, they put the parrots into the same cage just to see what would happen. The deacon's parrot looked at the pastor's parrot and said, "Let's kiss." Pastor's parrot cocked his head to one side then said, "Thank you, Lord. My prayer has been answered." (laughs) During this month of January, I've been trying to stress to you the importance of prayer. I've been talking about ways of making your prayers more effective. Before I leave this subject of prayer, I want to call attention to one more very important truth about prayer. Today, I want to talk to you about power in prayer. This week, I read a supposedly true story of a country woman who was the last in her county to get her home wired for electricity. She called the electric company, paid all the fees, and they came out, ran the wires, and connected power to her home. However, after a couple of months, the electric company noticed she didn't seem to use very much electricity at all. Thinking there might be a problem with the hookup, they sent a meter reader out to check on the matter. Man came to the door and said, we've just checked your meter, and it doesn't seem you're using much electricity. Is there a problem? Oh, no, she said we're quite satisfied. We turn on the electric lights every night so we can see to light our lamps, and then we switch them off again. (laughs) Now, here was a woman who believed in electricity. She believed the promises of the electric company when they told her about it. She went to a great deal of trouble and expense to have her house wired for it, but she never made the most of the power she had access to. And I suspect there are people who do the same thing with prayer. You believe in prayer. You know of the promises God has made. You've even read and heard stories about answered prayer. But you, you use prayer's power sparingly. Maybe it's because you don't understand how prayer works. But in, I want to tell you, unless you're an electrical engineer, you don't really understand how electricity works either. But i got to tell you, just because I don't understand it doesn't keep me from flipping the switch. Maybe you don't use the power of prayer because you don't really understand how God's sovereignty and how His authority works. Maybe you think it doesn't really matter whether you pray or not. Maybe you think, well, God's sovereign. He's going to do what He's going to do anyway, so why bother? Well, if that's the case, you've forgotten that the sovereign God has given clear instructions that you are supposed to pray, and He has absolute authority. I suspect most people treat prayer like the woman on the farm who just turned the lights on long enough to light her oil lamps. You use prayer as a supplement to your own efforts. But in your heart of hearts, you don't view prayer as making that big an impact on the decisions you make every day. The reason I'm preaching this message today is to help bring you to the place where you recognize that there's absolutely amazing power in prayer, and that prayer ought to be your default position in each and every situation you face. In this message today, what I want to do is I want to examine the ingredients that work together to make prayer powerful and effective. Chapter 12 of the book of Acts opens by talking about Herod the king. This is Herod Agrippa I, who was a wild, ruthless wicked and vile man. He was ruling under the authority of the Romans at this time, and he was determined to destroy the early church. Towards that end, he captured James, the brother of John, and put him to death with the sword. When he saw that his actions caused his numbers to rise in the public opinion polls, he decided to go after another of the leaders, the apostle Peter. A warrant was issued. Peter was arrested and placed in prison. Herod's plan was to bring him out before the people right after Passover and publicly execute him as well. Now that's what you call a crisis. The church is on the defensive. Peter's in prison under a death sentence. And I've discovered that one of the things people do when crisis hits is they try to make sense out of the situation. They try to figure out just why this terrible calamity has happened. Somehow they think that if they could understand it, then it wouldn't be quite so bad. Well, as you look at this story, it's easy to start asking questions. I mean, I read about this terrible calamity that is has befallen Peter, and I think, why did God let Herod be king anyway? I mean, if God is so all-powerful, why would He allow such a vile, wicked man to be put in such a position of authority? If I were God... Herod would never have made it that far. In fact, he wouldn't live to see another sunrise. And then I wonder, why should James be killed? Why should Peter be imprisoned and then, as we learn from reading a little further, then released? Is God capricious or has he lost control? I mean, that doesn't, just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. There doesn't seem to be any sensible reason for any of this what you need to understand today is that just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense. Life is filled with questions that don't have answers. And what you have to remember is that you aren't supposed to live by explanations. Life isn't a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. And sometimes you just have to accept that God's hand in all of this is hidden. That's why the Lord spoke through the prophet in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 and said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, listen, just because things in your life aren't making sense to you, don't think they don't make sense. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean God isn't working. You may be listening to this message right now and thinking that you're stuck and nothing whatsoever is happening. You may be thinking that nothing good is ever going to come out of your present problem. You may be thinking you're going to be permanently confined to this dilemma. I tell you again, just because you can't see God working doesn't mean God isn't working working Romans 8 28 is still true we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose so while you're waiting God is working while you're wondering God is working while you're wishing God is working you don't live by explanations you live by promises God is somehow able to take all the good and all the bad and mix those all together so that when they come out, it's for your good and it rises to the praise of His glory. I'm telling you, there are some things you are never going to figure out. You know, when you're a kid, you wonder, why does God put the vitamins in spinach and not in ice cream? (laughs) Life is full of mystery. So sometimes you just have to determine to let God be God. Just settle it in your mind. He's God, you're not. That's the way it is. And let God alone to do the God thing. There's a lot of ground could be covered in this story. Uh, I'd like to spend some time talking about Peter's deliverance. That's where I've normally gone when I've preached this text. I, I'd like to talk about the angelic messenger that is dispatched to bring him out of the prison i'd like to talk about god's protection for his children but in the interest of time and for the purpose of trying to stay with this theme of power and prayer i'm going to limit myself to one verse verse five it says so peter was kept in the prison but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to god Now, think about what's happening here. Peter is in maximum security. According to verse 4, the prison is guarded on the outside with two guards by the door. There are 16 men who are guarding Peter. His right hand is chained to a guard. There's another chain on his left. On top of that, he's counting down the hours until his scheduled execution. Peter's in a crisis of epic proportion. Every door is shut. Every door except one, that is, the door that goes straight up. I want to tell you, when there's no hope on the horizontal level, there's always hope on the vertical level. There isn't anything Peter can do for himself, but that's when God's people begin to minister on his behalf. They begin to pray. And here in this verse, I see five different ingredients. And when these ingredients are combined, they form a dynamic that makes both their prayer and your prayer powerful. And effective. Now, I've put together a little demonstration to illustrate how this works, and because I've never been very good at chemistry, I've asked Rob if he would assist me with this message. So he's going to be my lab assistant today as we put together the ingredients that will it'll illustrate the power in prayer. Now, the first ingredient in the power in prayer is fellowship, that's the container of For this effective, powerful prayer, the fellowship. Rob, would you put up the container, the fellowship of prayer. Verse 5 says this prayer being offered for Peter's release was being made by the church. That's fellowship. They were assembled together as the church. Jesus said in Matthew 18 verses 19 and 20, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. So if you're in crisis, if you're in trouble, if the odds are stacked against you, don't try to be a lone ranger. Now I know you want to be private. You don't want anybody to know you're having trouble. You don't, want to let people see that you're dealing with issues right now you're so concerned somebody's going to judge you because you're having a struggle what you need to remember is that spiritual power is released in the fellowship of prayer now i know you shouldn't tell everybody your stuff because some people don't have enough wisdom to keep your confidence you can't trust everybody with your stuff so don't just indiscriminately throw it out there You don't need somebody that's going to beat you up for the problems you're having. Neither do you need somebody that's going to say, well, you know, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have that problem. You don't need that. That's not going to help anything. At the same time, the Bible is very clear that there is a multiplication of power that takes place when believers are united together in the fellowship of prayer. That's what happens. That's what's happening in Ecclesiastes 4.12 when the wisdom preacher says, if one can overpower him who is alone... Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That's the reason for the instruction in James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? He must call the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So I want to tell you if you need a prayer answered, get somebody with you that you know has a walk with God. You know this person knows how to talk to God instead of talking to the neighbor on the phone. You know this person knows how to talk to God instead of spilling everything out on social Media. Get you some prayer partners. Get some brothers and sisters you have confidence in their prayers and let them know what you need. Get them praying. There's power in the fellowship of prayer. Now, power in prayer begins with the fellowship of prayer. Then there's the next ingredient, which is the focus. Rob, let's put that ingredient in with the fellowship, would you please? Let's put in the focus of prayer. Verse 5 says that the prayer was for him or for Peter. It was a specific prayer. Now, I want to tell you, there's a big difference between somebody that says, I'd love for you to come by and see me sometime. And somebody that says, hey, why don't you and Betsy come over next Friday around 530 for dinner? The first one just sounds like some kind of nicety that people are supposed to say in polite company. Right? Quite honestly, most of you don't really want me to just show up on your doorstep unannounced and unplanned for. Hey, you told me to come see you, so here I am. (laughs) You don't want that. But if you make it specific, then there's intentionality, there's purpose. You know, too often I I hear people pray such vague, general prayers. Consequently, you don't know if God answered your prayer or not when you pray what are you praying for if God if God were to answer your prayer would you even know it God bless all the missionaries well how do you want me to bless them what, what would that look like what does that even mean do, do all the missionaries need the same blessing God please help my friend well what kind of help does your friend need if you aren't praying for a specific kind of help how will you know when I help them How will you know it wasn't just some stroke of luck or some change of behavior they made on their own? See, God gets glory when you pray with focus, a specific prayer that only He can perform. Then when He answers, there's no question, it was the hand of God at work. When Peter is delivered from prison, everybody knew it was in response to the prayers the church prayed. It was a supernatural answer. An angel was dispatched to unlock the prison cell and lead Peter out. Nobody else could do that. It had to be God. I want to tell you, not only is the focus on the need, but then the focus is on the one who can supply the need. The verse says that prayer was being made by the church to God. Peter was incarcerated, and I can only imagine the response if this had happened today. Some would have called a meeting of the board to explore the options. You know, maybe one of the board members would have suggested, you know, we we need to form a mob. We need to have a protest. Let's let's have a rally. Let's have a picket. Uh, Let's march right down to that prison and demand Brother Peter's release. Maybe another would have opted for uh, circulating a petition. Let's get everybody to sign a paper protesting the treatment of our minister. And we'll take that thing to Herod and show him how many people are upset with his action. Maybe there would have been a suggestion to try and bribe Herod. So that Peter could be released. I'm telling you when trouble strikes the first response ought to be prayer. The first response ought to be to look to the Lord. He is the source. He is the one who is a present help in the time of need and trouble. He is the one who supplies all the need according to his riches and glory. He is the one who is faithful and true. I want to tell you, if you look to yourself, you'll get what you can do. If you look to the government, you'll get what the government can do. If you look to the culture, you'll get what the culture can do. But if you look to the Lord, you'll get what the Lord can do. That's why Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. I'm telling you, there's power in prayer when the prayer is focused. There's another ingredient that combines to make prayer powerful. Not only fellowship and focus, but then there's the frequency of the prayer. Rob, let's let's add that element in here and see what's going on with it. One translation of verse 5 says that prayer was made without ceasing One of the things that makes prayer powerful is its persistence. You know, there's a teaching that has gone around for quite a while that says you should only pray about something one time. Anybody ever heard that? Only pray about it one time. After that, if you pray about it again, then it demonstrates you have a lack of faith. According to this teaching, you should just pray once and then either not mention it again or just claim what you have requested and thank God for it. I don't have a whole lot of time to deal here just to tell you that's misguided at best and absolutely contrary to what Jesus said. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 7 to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. A couple of weeks ago, I talked more extensively about this idea of persistence. And in that message, I pointed you to Luke 18:1, where the Bible says Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Persistence, frequency, pray and keep praying until something happens. Maybe you've been praying about something for a long time. Maybe you've gotten tired of praying about it. Pray one more time. Keep praying. You might just be one prayer away from your answer. And understand that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Frequency in prayer is one of the ingredients that makes prayer powerful and effective. So we have fellowship, we have focus, we have frequency, and then there's fervency. Let's let's add that one too, Rob. In the translation we read at the beginning of this message, verse 5 says that prayer for Peter was being made fervently. That word fervent means intense, white hot. This is desperation praying. This is prayer that wrestles and strives. This is prayer that agonizes and travails. This is prayer that means business and refuses to let go until the answer comes. The word of the Lord declares, and nature teaches that nothing is born without travail. This is the kind of prayer James 5.16 is talking about when it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is the way the Holy Spirit assists in the ministry of prayer. That's why Romans 8 and 26 uh, says, when the Apostle Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Anybody ever found yourself in that condition? But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Intense desperation praying gets the attention of the Almighty. This is the cry of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Hush, Bartimaeus, you be quiet. We don't have time for you. He cries all the more, Jesus. He's desperate. This is the plea of the father with the demonized son. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is the determination of the woman with the issue of blood. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. How desperate are you for God to act? Are you desperate enough to enlist others to join you in prayer? You know, sometimes we ask people to pray for us, and what we're really saying is, I want you to do the praying while I go over here and mind my own business. I'm not interested in praying if you're not going to pray about it. Are you desperate enough to get somebody to pray with you? Are you desperate enough to carry the burden of your loved one until something changes in the life of that loved one? Are you desperate enough to relentlessly call out to God night and day and to keep going and keep praying until the answer comes? I'm trying to give you the ingredients that combine to release the power in prayer. Here's what I know. You can have all these ingredients... You can have fellowship, focus, frequency, and fervency. But even if you've got all those things, they're just sitting there. There's nothing going on. You need something. You need, if you want a release of the power, you need a catalyst. You need something to activate the power. Nothing happens without a catalyst. That catalyst is faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Not it's going to be really hard. Mm-mm. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, again, there's been a lot of misinformed teaching and preaching about this catalyst of faith. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times I feel like my faith is weak. Many times I feel like my faith is inadequate. You know, some people try to tell you the reason something didn't happen and the reason you didn't get what you asked for in prayer is because you didn't have enough faith. When somebody tries to tell me that, I always want to know, well, how much is enough? I mean, how do you, how do you even measure whether you have faith, whether you have enough faith or not? I mean, do you measure faith in feet and inches? Do you measure faith in quarts and gallons? You know, I I I measured my faith this morning. I'm, I'm about a quart low. <laughs> Jesus said, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. Now you hear me today. The question isn't really, how big is your faith? The real question is, how big is your God? I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in my faith, but I put everything in my God. Here's what I know. When you pray, you don't really need great faith. What you need is faith in a great God. Peter's in prison. He's scheduled for execution. But the church comes together. They have all the ingredients of effective prayer. They have the fellowship of prayer. They have the focus of prayer. They have the frequency of prayer. They have the fervency of prayer. They are calling on God. And then with all those ingredients in place, they finally get a hold of God and they add the catalyst. They add the faith of prayer. And when you add faith, come on, Rob, help me. That's when the power is released. You start adding the catalyst, and power starts to bubble up and begins to overflow. When you add faith, chains break. When you add faith, prison doors open. When you add faith, captives are released. When you add faith, deliverance comes. When you add faith, light breaks in and darkness is pushed back. When you add faith, lives are transformed. When you add faith, a watching world is amazing when you add faith power is released and God is glorified I'm just wondering don't you think it's about time for some prison doors to open for you don't you think it's about time for deliverance to come don't you think it's about time for a breakthrough I wonder if I have anybody who would dare to believe that the Lord will turn things around for you today. Anybody ready to water your prayers with your faith today? I want to pray and I want to believe with you that this will be the day when God's power is released over the need in your life. Stand with me right now. Anybody got one of those prayers that you say, Pastor, I've been doing all this stuff, but today I want to add my faith with yours, and I just want to agree together in prayer that God is going to give the breakthrough. If that's you, get down here right now. I want to agree with you in prayer. I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. Make it so, Jesus. A glorious light Make it beyond so. all